0: up, everybody. I certainly hope your week has started off well. If it has not, you've come to the right place. This is Citizen Hope, and I am your host, Jess. Today we're going to be talking about Valerie Thomas. She's an American scientist and inventor who worked for NASA from 1964 until 1995, and she created something called the Illusion Transmitter, which is a type of early 3D technology and NASA actually still uses it to this day. But before we jump in and start talking about Miss Thomas, I want to pass along a recommendation to you. As you're probably aware, the purpose of this podcast is to highlight the best of humanity. I tell stories about people doing incredible things despite their circumstances and often despite a society that would otherwise hold them back. Um, I think in order to triumph over your circumstances, you first have to recognize that you've got the power to change those circumstances. And then you have to be willing to do the often really hard work to make that change happen. And that all takes a lot of courage, perseverance, and I think most of all, positive thinking. So my friend Trevor recently launched a free app called I'm Positive, and that's spelled I-M-P-O-S-I-T-I-V-E. I'm positive, all one word. Um, It's a super simple way to get positive affirmations and feel-good quotes whenever you need them. The app is also super colorful, (laughs) which might sound like a small little feature, but I absolutely love it. Um, If you're not aware, colors can actually affect your mood. Um, And I just from personal experience, uh, my own opinion is that the more colorful something is, the more engaging I find it and the more I want to look at it and use it. Um, Except for clowns, definitely not clowns. (laughs) don't know whoever came up with clowns as like entertainment for children, they're terrifying. Um, but the I Am Positive app is not terrifying. It's lovely and simple and wonderful. Um, right now it's only available on the Apple App Store, but I know the Android version is in the works. So if you want to check out this super simple, powerful, free app, I'll have a link for you in the show notes. All right, so let's move on to Valerie Thomas. Thomas was born on February 8th, 1943 in Maryland. She was fascinated with electronics at an early age. And when she was asked how she discovered that she had this kind of knack for math and science, she stated, I can't describe when I discovered that I liked science and math. However, my father was into photography. I was a curious child. During that time, photography was produced with chemicals. My father put a red light bulb in the kitchen so the whole kitchen would be sort of dark but have this red tinge to it. Once he processed the film, got the negatives, we would go upstairs in the hallway and he would put the negatives in his enlarger to make different size photographs. This was my first introduction to optics. My father was also into electronics, and I would watch that too. Seeing the mechanical parts inside the TV, I wondered how the mechanical parts created the images on the TV screen. At the age of eight, Thomas read the boy's first book on electronics, which sparked her interest in a career in science. But despite her aptitude, her curiosity, her obvious interest in electronics, her father would not help her with any of the projects in the book and at the all-girls school that she attended, she was not encouraged to pursue science and mathematics courses. Now, it should be noted that we're talking about the 1940s and 50s in Maryland, and Valerie Thomas is a female, a black female. For those that might be unaware, the period of time starting around 1877, that's about 12 years after the end of the Civil War, until the mid 1960s so almost a hundred years here is called the jim crow era jim crow was the name of a racial caste system which operated primarily in the southern and border states and jim crow laws were a collection of state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation named after a black minstrel show character the laws were meant to marginalize african americans by denying them the right to vote to hold jobs, to get an education, or any other opportunities. And those who attempted to defy Jim Crow laws often faced arrest, fines, jail sentences, certainly violence, and even death. There were also certain unspoken rules and etiquette that Black people were expected to abide by during the Jim Crow era. First, A black person should never assert or even intimate that a white person is lying. They should never impute dishonorable intentions to a white person. They should never suggest that a white person is from an inferior class. They should never lay claim to or overly demonstrate superior knowledge or intelligence. A black person should never curse a white person. A black person should never laugh at a white person. They should never comment upon the appearance of a white female. A black male could not offer his hand to shake hands with a white male because it implied being socially equal. Obviously, a black male could not offer his hand or any other part of his body to a white woman because then he risked being accused of rape. Blacks and whites were never supposed to eat together if they did eat together, whites were to be served first and some sort of partition had to be placed between them. Under no circumstance was a black male to offer to light the cigarette of a white female as that gesture implied intimacy. Blacks were not allowed to show public affection toward one another in public, especially kissing because it offended white people. Jim Crow etiquette prescribed that Blacks were introduced to Whites, but never Whites to Blacks, and Whites did not have to use courtesy titles when referring to Blacks, for example, Mr. Smith or Mrs. Johnson. Instead, Blacks were always called by their first names, but Blacks had to use courtesy titles when referring to Whites and were not allowed to call them by their first names. If a Black person rode in a car driven by a white person, the Black person sat in the back or in the bed of the truck. White motorists always had the right of way at intersections. I'm sure there were more. That's the list that I was able to gather, and it honestly blew my mind. Um, I knew kind of basically what Jim Crow was. I had no idea um, of the the specificity of how Black people were supposed to be and act and conduct themselves during this time. Um, I hope you kind of <laughs> heard the disdain and disgust dripping from my voice as I read that list. I it's just mind boggling, um, but but it. It does present a really good picture of uh, the sign of the times, right? 1940s, 1950s, Maryland, United States of America. So we can see, we can kind of better understand that Thomas being a black female, I would imagine that her parents were more than a little worried that her intelligence, her interest in the male dominated science and math, Uh, studies, coupled with her blackness, would spell trouble for their daughter. And Thomas accepted for a time what her parents and teachers and society were telling her. When she was asked about her time in school as a child, Thomas stated, I really wanted to learn about electronics, but since that didn't happen, I decided that with a physics major, I could learn about what makes things tick. Throughout my K-12 school days, I didn't study, but when I got my first C in junior high, I cried all the way home from school and I decided to make a choice. I could continue not studying and take the grades I would get, or I could start studying and ensure that I would continue to get all good grades. Did I wanna study or did I wanna develop my social side? My decision was to develop my social side. So I understood within myself that once I made that decision, I could not complain if things didn't go my way in terms of grades. I had to accept the consequences. So when I went to class, I focused on learning and understanding. I made sure that I was well-rested and sat up front so that I could see the board and the teacher could see me. If I didn't understand, I raised my hand and asked questions. It worked. I took on that responsibility and decided not to focus on grades, but on learning. It took me successfully all the way through college. After graduating from high school, Thomas finally got the chance to explore her passion as a student at Morgan State University. There, she was one of only two women majoring in physics, Thomas excelled in her mathematics and science courses, and she graduated with highest honors in 1964 with her degree in physics. Then she spoke to a recruiter for NASA and was hired on as a data analyst. Thomas was asked what it was like working at NASA during the Jim Crow era, and Thomas stated, It just so happened that where I was in the organization, much to my surprise, there were quite a few African-Americans. When you hear about Katherine Johnson and Mary Jackson and you see things written up about them being human computers, you probably also see another name, Melba Roy. She worked in the organization that I worked in when I first got hired at NASA. She and a couple others, including a woman who used to frequently check on me, were well respected in the organization. They were high level African-American women in the organization. And I never asked, but my guess is that Melba probably was very instrumental in getting more African-Americans into that organization. So I I was not in a typical situation in terms of not having many African-Americans around. That was sort of unique. One of Thomas's first assignments was to write a computer program. And it's during this first exercise that she began to wonder if her chain of command was really invested in her success. Thomas talks about the experience saying, I did not know what a program was. I'd never seen a computer before except in science fiction movies. Not only that, but the operating system that the branch was using was something that was developed by the branch head. It was not a typical operating system. However, it was perfect for the kind of work that they did in the branch. I got instructions and commands for writing a program from the woman who was looking out for me, and I was able to write the program but could not make it work. During that time, writing programs was different. You would write a program using IBM punched cards, take your card deck to another building, submit it, a computer operator would run it, and then you would go back later after it had been run to get it. If it didn't work properly, you would get a stack of paper printed out called a data dump. My program always came back with a stack of paper printed out. The person who was supposed to be my supervisor and I would go through it. I would make changes. It was resubmitted, but the results were always the same. I was accumulating a lot of paper. One day I looked up and three people, my supervisor, his boss, and the branch head came to see me. The branch head asked me about my program. After telling him about my program, he said, why are you doing it like that? And the person who was supposed to be my supervisor also said, yes, why are you doing it like that? He had been going through the program with me every day before it was resubmitted to be run. And I asked why he waited until then to ask that question. At that point, I could see that something was not right. And obviously the branch head noticed that too. After that session, I got switched to work with somebody else and my star just took off like a rocket. I could see how a Black woman coming in during that time might become intimidated or scared and probably end up being let go for not being able to be productive. I was just given another person in the branch to work with, and because of that action, my career just took off. Thomas grew to be a valued NASA employee. In the 1970s, she worked at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center and managed the development of early Landsat image processing software systems. She became the resident expert on the computer-compatible tapes, or CCTs, that were used to store early Landsat imagery. Thomas was one of the image processing specialists who facilitated the ambitious large area crop inventory experiment known as LACI. LACI was an unprecedented scientific project which demonstrated the feasibility of using space technology to automate the process of predicting wheat yield on a worldwide basis. In 1976, Thomas attended a scientific seminar where she came upon an exhibit that demonstrated an illusion using a light bulb. By using concave mirrors, the exhibit fooled the viewer into believing that the light bulb was glowing even after it had been unscrewed from its socket. This inspired Valerie Thomas, who began experimenting with flat and concave mirrors. With Thomas's experimentation came the invention of the illusion transmitter. In 1980, Thomas received a patent for her device. The illusion transmitter produces optical illusion images via two concave mirrors. Unlike flat mirrors, which produce images that appear to be inside or behind the mirror, concave mirrors create images that appear to be real or in front of the mirror itself. This technology was subsequently adopted by NASA, and has since been adapted for use in surgery, as well as in the production of television and video screens. When Thomas was asked in an interview to clarify the difference between the illusion transmitter and 3D TV and movies as we know them today, she said, We're used to seeing virtual images in which it looks like we are in the mirror, so with my Landsat image processing expertise and my understanding about real images, I came up with the idea for the illusion transmitter. I envisioned a TV that, instead of having the imagery displayed on the screen, would have the imagery displayed in the air and would be visible without needing special glasses. I think from that perspective, people think of 3D TVs because that's their concept of being able to see something like that. But mine was that you do not need special glasses to see the imagery, and it's in the air. Thomas continued to work for NASA until her retirement in 1995. During that time, she held a number of positions, including Project Manager of the Space Physics Analysis Network and Associate Chief of the Space Science Data Operations Office. She helped to develop computer programs designed to support research on Halley's Comet, the ozone layer, and satellite technology. And for her achievements, she received a number of NASA awards, including the Goddard Space Flight Center Award of Merit and the NASA Equal Opportunity Medal. Her success as a scientist, despite the lack of early support for her interests, inspired Thomas to reach out to students. And in addition to her work at NASA, she mentored youths through the National Technical Association and Science, Mathematics, Aerospace Research and Technology, Incorporated. Speaking about her educational outreach, Thomas explains... I was the president of the D.C. chapter of the National Technical Association, NTA, in 1974, and then became the first female national president of the NTA in 1985. And after I finished my term as NTA national president, somehow I got pulled off in another direction to work with an organization which became known as Science, Mathematics, Aerospace Research and Technology, or SMART, Inc., in 1986. People from NTA and other people were attracted to work with me on this project. SMART worked with other organizations that had similar goals of preparing our young people for future careers in science and technology for the 21st century, and SMART did a lot of educational outreach activities. We worked closely together, and we called it science and technology then, but now it's called STEM. I spent about 35 years working with SMART, and then I got introduced to another organization, Shades of Blue. This is an aviation-oriented STEM organization. And now I'm president of the Shades of Blue DC, Maryland, and Virginia chapter. We're focused on preparing young people for future careers in aviation. And if that isn't enough for you, Thomas is also a substitute high school teacher at a school with an aerospace program. Valerie Thomas faced hurdles many of us will never face. Being a Black female growing up in Jim Crow America could have resulted in Miss Thomas going in any direction but the direction of her dreams. But she refused to be sidelined and underestimated. When reflecting on her legacy, Thomas stated, I want people to think back on me, first of all, as a lifetime learner. I want young people to not run away from challenges. I like to share knowledge with young people, and I would like to see them take the knowledge to the next level. Well, folks, that's a wrap for this week's episode. In episode eight, we're going to learn about Salman Sal Khan, one of Time Magazine's 2012 most influential people in the world. Join me next week to find out why. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I hope the stories that I share put a big, bright spotlight on the potential that lives in all of us. Check out the show notes for the sources that I use to make each episode. And if you like the podcast, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Also, I'd be so honored to tell your stories on the show. I'm talking about stories of everyday heroism, courage, and hope, like... Did your great-grandparents write each other for months during the war and it kept their love alive? Did your mom or dad save you from calamity when you were a kid? Did a small act of kindness, like stopping for a stranded motorist, lead to something much greater? Did your pet save your life? These are the stories I would love to share. Email me at citizenhopepodcast at gmail.com for a chance to have your story featured on the show. Now I want you to go forth and kick ass because you are amazing.